It's really hard for, as I've said many times in morning prayer, for us to fully grasp the issues around eating food offered to idols that existed in the New Testament world, the world that uh, both Jesus and Paul live in, especially Paul because he's traveling throughout the Roman world, which is really the Greek world of Asia Minor, which is now called Turkey, and Greece, which is now still called Greece, and the areas of the world that are, um, there are Jewish people that live there and they have synagogues, but they're predominantly Gentile places. And these in these Gentile cities, in these Greek cities, the sacrificial system would be in place at what we, we would call pagan temples. These were temples to Artemis, to Diana of the Ephesians, uh, temples uh, dedicated to gods and goddesses of the ancient Greek world, some of which are still standing or the ruins are standing. You can go see them today. But they had big barbecues in them. They were big, uh, you know, meat production places. They You'd bring an animal to sacrifice or they'd have them there that you would purchase. That animal would be uh, cooked on the altar as a sacrifice to the god or goddess. And then the food would be distributed. The high priest or the head of the family would distribute the food sort of down through the family lines, the elders first and the um, younger people next, and the, the slaves that would existed in most households would then partake. And that sort of a reminder of how the economy worked of the family and the household and the, the society was, um, was, was how they showed who was in charge in the sacrificial system. You also have most of the Roman army leaders and emperors were priests. Um, in Rome, the priesthood was was limited, was not limited just to professional priests who did that for a living or worked in temples, but um, many Roman senators and aristocrats uh, would buy a priesthood, uh, an honorary priesthood, where they would preside at the sacrifice of these animals and then distribute the meat to show their largesse. In fact, the word liturgy that we use often in the Episcopal Church comes from these public gestures of largesse, where a very rich patron would pay for a sacrifice. They'd buy an oxen and they would just, you know, have it sacrificed, have it distributed so everybody could eat of it. But this was food offered to the idols. Uh, liturgy can also mean a uh, rich guy buys a battleship and then commands it. Um, as well. It was a work of the people or work for the people, public works. Um, they rarely did anything that, that benefited p- people beyond the short term, um, as rich people are often hesitant to give their money away to things that don't somehow benefit them back. Uh, and that is true of the liturgy of the ancient Greeks and Romans. But this, um, this the sacrificial system was really hard for Christians to wrap their minds around, especially Christians who had come out of these religions, but also for Jewish Christians, Jewish Christians who had been raised with kosher laws. The Christians at the time of the writing of Romans are under the Jerusalem Council mandate, which says you don't have to keep kosher, you don't have to keep all the dietary rules of Judaism, but you cannot eat things that are strangled. You can't eat things that are um, that don't have the blood let out of them. So in some ways. The early Christians did eat food that we would probably consider kosher today, 
In other words, when you slaughter an animal, you can't, um, you, you have to let the blood run out first and you can't cook the animal without, um, without doing that. I know this is sort of butchery 101, but it was a huge issue for these early Christians, how they would relate to this sacrificial system. When you eat the meat from the, the idol's altar, are you worshiping the idol? Even if you buy it from a shop outside the temple that sells it for just a little bit cheaper than the guy that's not selling sacrificial meat in the next stall. Um, it's a little cheaper to buy it from the temple. Are you participating in that sacrifice of the altar? And so Paul is writing this very practical advice. He says, stop quarreling about this stuff. Um, some believe in eating anything. So there's Christians who are like, hey, food is food. I don't care where it's cooked. I don't care who makes it. I just eat it. I'm a simple guy. Don't don't make this complicated. When I go to the Japanese restaurant, the Chinese restaurant, the Ethiopian restaurant, I don't ask like what gods or goddesses they worship. I just eat the food. It tastes good. Then there's other people who, for other reasons, they feel like when they do eat that meat, they're participating in the system of the idol worship and they're contributing to it. Their money is going to fund the temple that not only engages in these ritual sacrifices, but often engages in uh, ritual prostitution and other things that early Christians were told to avoid. So you can see the the conundrum there. Um, We have our modern versions of these. Um, Do you support businesses that do stuff that you don't like? Um, or you just buy your cigarettes at the shop, you know, and you don't think about the other stuff they sell. Um, this was much more of a bigger issue in the video store days. I remember, you know, do you go to the shop that has the the back room of X-rated stuff? What do you do? Do you not go into that video store and just go to the G section? Um, these were all big questions for a lot of different groups. And Paul's grappling them with them. And he says that the big thing is that whoever eats the meat and who doesn't eat the meat shouldn't despise the people who do. If you are, if if someone has more liberty or Christian liberty than you and feels like they can do something with a clear conscience, you shouldn't judge them. You should be careful to not despise the people who do things that you don't do, um, that are, that are certainly okay to do, but you can see why somebody wouldn't do them. Um, who are you to pass judgment on somebody else's servant. This line comes up a couple times that um, who are we to judge someone else's servant? And this is God's servant. They are God's servant. They don't, they don't work for me. They work for God. So when I judge my brother or sister on something that they're doing or not doing, I am in fact standing in the place of God to do that. So Paul makes it really clear. If we die, we die to the Lord. Um, If we live or whether we die, we belong to God. Ultimately, our lives belong to God. And our discernment of what we do and what we don't do comes from our listening to the Holy Spirit. It doesn't come necessarily from just doing what somebody else does. And this is a mark of maturity that Paul is trying to get his his flock remotely that's far away in Rome to understand in a deeply personal way. So he's not telling them what to do. What he's telling them is how to discern what is good for you, what is bad for you, and then not to despise people who do something different. Amen. Amen.